to How to Win the Lottery, Season 5, Unadaptable, Crying in H-Mart by Michelle Zahner. I'm Joey Lewandowski. I am a guy named Gary. Um, Back again. Tulsa, Oklahoma, still on mission to, you know, track them cattle across his, his namesake state. You know, we got results back in from last episode's poll. Oh, oh yeah? Overwhelmingly, the most cheer-worthy moment of this pod... The Flash enters the Speed Force. <laughs> the Flash enters the Speed Force. All right. Well, you know, sometimes things just, they, they just, they, uh, they're born winners. It's the, that, that is the Michael Jordan of moments. He's a born winner, undefeated in the finals. I'm just thinking about a movie like Air, where they're trying to recruit the Flash entering the Speed Force yeah. to sell Nikes to. You got to do it. Uh, I will say that as, uh, you know, a guy named Gary here, um, it's it's a good thing that I'm here today and that the late great shreds did not have to see this moment because I recall specifically the Shredmeister on an episode, I think it was Aesthetica, the Ali Robottom story saying, um, really, really being really, really adamant that he did not want to read any more cancer mom books. Yeah. Is that the case? Is that is that something like Seems as right. as as a, a longtime listener and only a second time guest, I, I just want to say I remember Shred saying that. And I don't know how the podcast got to this point where we are now doing another Cancer Mom book. But, you know, it is what it is. I'm not affected by it because I have ice water in my veins. I was thinking about the Alley Robot thing a lot because I not only read that, but I also read Jello Girls, which is the intercut, and that's much closer in style to this. But it does seem uh-huh. like our two big themes are cancer, mom, and amnesia. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because we, yeah, we have that. We have, of course, the, it's not mom, but, you know, the the Katie Rundy book. Yeah. I was looking, because I was looking through the books that we had done, because I was like, is this our first nonfiction? It is. And by our, I mean the the we. The collective pod. The royal we. Yeah. But I was also looking at like, oh, yeah, there are cancer moms, and there's a lot of, it just... It's very heavy, and I understand why, and I think it's cathartic and therapeutic and everything, but I am, once again, I will say, very glad that I don't relate to that yet, Mm -hmm. hopefully ever. Mm -hmm. The other thing I will say, to sort of lighten the mood a little bit, is that I am both relieved and a little bit disappointed that I'm not super familiar with Korean food, because I feel like that would have made this a lot different of a read, because there's this is all, like, you know, her relationship with her mom builds around food, Mm -hmm. and, like, I know some of it, but I feel like if I knew what she was talking about, I'd be, like, hungry the entire time. I felt felt that anyway. I Like, I I think Michelle Zoner is a really good writer. Um, I don't, I, of, uh, it's interesting, because nonfiction has to take on a sort of style Mm -hmm. that fiction... If this were a fiction book, the style I would say that the style was dull. I would say that it's it's dully written. But as a as a nonfiction book, it's um, a memoir, right? This is technically it's like, a memoir, yeah, okay. yeah. Or like how some people say, memoir, memoir. I every time someone does that, I want to um, tear their ears off, uh, rip, rip rip their nose out, wow, um, pluck out their teeth, damn, with a yeah. Um, it's uh, for some reason it drives me crazy. Memoir, memoir. Mm-hmm. It's like just say memoir. John Renoir. Is that right though? Right? Is that right? Hey, well, well, let's move on. <laughs> um, uh, she's writing to convey information, and 
I also not that familiar with many of the most of the Korean dishes that she talks about. But reading it, I did feel like, fuck, that sounds good. That sounds good. I really would like to eat Korean food every like the whole time that I was reading. I was just like, yeah, this is this sounds great. Because both in her relationship with her mom. And so if you don't know what this book is, it's becoming a film that she is writing the screenplay to. And I think this is probably of all the books that we're covering this module that are being adapted. I think it was probably the farthest off. I think this has been announced in sort of a buzzy, it was a buzzy book and a buzzy movie that I think is probably a couple years out still. Um, so we don't really know anything about it unless I, I could take a look, but I'm also barred from Googling. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's about her mom being diagnosed and dying from cancer uh, and just the life that she had with her mom and then going through that and then life after her mom. And it seemed like the main relationship, like the main thing that guided her relationship with her mom was food and also the kind of the way that she honors her mom, not only with music, because she's also the musical artist performing as Japanese breakfast, um, but by cooking for herself and for her husband and for her father and whoever. Right. So there's a lot of food in here that I I kind of wish that I knew more about, Mm -hmm. but I can see the movie version of this just being feel like every scene, just like cooking yeah, scenes. Right. Uh, yeah. Me too. Um, anything like that's great. I, it, it's interesting. Like, cause I don't have that. Right. Uh, do you what? Ha- like, like I, I don't have, I never had like a food connection to either of my parents. Right. Do you, have not, a, do you have a food connection with anybody? In, no, anybody? no, 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 not really. Yeah. Um, and my, you know, like, my mom was a uh, like she managed restaurant for like a, a probably half of my life. Oh wow, okay. And she was a really really good cook, but when she got home from work, she was like, "That's work. I'm not fucking doing it." Right. So my dad cooked everything, and my dad was an all right cook, but like you, you know whatever. But it was also the food that they made was not like if I were to say the food to you. It would just be like, oh yeah, and like, and it doesn't, it doesn't have like the, any cultural weight to it. It's right. not, it's not connecting me to any roots that like Michelle Zahner has access to, largely because like that that food is like a uh, cultural anchor mm-hmm. for her, yeah. right? And I don't have a cultural anchor, um, really at all. I I just like feel. American in a bland white kind of yeah. way. Neither of my parents have very um like their their heritage, I guess, is not really important to either of them. Like my mom is very mixed heritage. My dad is half Italian, half Polish. But I don't know his mom from like basically what I have gathered is the one who cooked and she was fully Italian. So I don't know that she ever cooked Polish food at all. Like I didn't have pierogies until I was in college. Like mm-hmm. and that feels like kind of the staple Polish food. And I think so we had a lot of possible. We didn't really have like stuff. It was just like Italian did not mean Italian. Italian was not like fresh seafood, whatever. It's just like pasta. Right. And so I've never had a cultural identity around food at all or anything, really. And it. It it seems nice. It seems it does. It seems seems like something that like you can't really like you can become like a foodie Mm -hmm. as her father embarrassingly says to the waitress, like, oh, we're foodies. Like you can get really into food, but it feels like this is the kind of thing that like is is baked into your DNA from the time you're born that like there's like you grow up in a house that smells a certain way and feels a certain way and tastes a certain way. And like even if you like from here on out, I'm only doing I'm diving deep into Korean food. It's not the same, right? Like it's a different thing. Yeah, I think it's interesting because like white Americans largely do the hashtag foodie thing 
in in like a way that is ex- explorative because they like don't own any of that themselves right so it's it's like yeah i like to like i really like to try different kinds of restaurants and things like that and it's like because they're they they have no cultural anchor in food that's not like that's uh, that's broad strokes there are polish americans who who have very like sure but italian american like, but if you think about like american food is just like sandwiches and burgers it's uh-huh, like yeah, the de- most deli, like deli food and, and which i love but it's also like that's not a thing like it's not like it it can be like and it's interesting because like even with deli food like the more like um, demographically specific you get with it, the more interesting it becomes. Like obviously, like Jewish delis are a thing, and that becomes like more. And yeah, but more... that's not like I don't think that's American though. That's like that's Jewish, right? Exactly. Right? Yeah. And like Italian Italian delis sure. becomes Italian more Italian. Yeah, food, yeah, right? yeah. Like it's the same thing. It's like as soon as it becomes interesting, it's no longer mm-hmm. American. Like if you if you have like such a yeah, it's it's weird. Like because it, it, like people who grow up in like really really Italian families where the cooking is really yep. like that. It, it, it's like that is where someone has like a sauce on the stove on Sundays for hours that like the whole house yeah, smells like and, that. And it's like and it's like you know we have we have uh, grandma's recipe yep. and like we have family dinners and things like that. And it's like I think that for um, a large part of Americans, that's not the case. They're like because America American culture is when it, when it's not cobbled together from other cultures mm-hmm. it's cobbled together through consumer culture yeah. and so like american culture is like pizza hut and and well, it, uh, it's buying food it's going out to buy food right it's not making yeah. food it's also yeah, the, yeah. it's the melting pot like you were saying and it's also the like we're too busy to spend all day cooking mm-hmm. like the way that she describes toward the end like making kimchi and like realizing the effort it takes and like not throwing scraps out and like keeping the scraps to use for a different meal like I, I really wish that like, par, like that I wanted to, that I had any interest in spending like an entire afternoon making a thing, right? Well, it's one of the great things to be, to, to be like, to have an innate interest in. Yeah. Like cooking, if you're, if you like cooking and if you're interested in yeah. cooking, that's such a blessing. It's the same thing as like being like, oh, I really love electronics or, or like knowing how to like fix like yeah, yeah. things or like, oh, I'm really like personally into like home repair and carpentry it's like what a blessing that would be to like to have, have like that, a useful skill yeah, to have that not be tedious to you to have that be something that you wake up and you're like i get to fix this thing today like who how much would you love that yeah right so like it like be, just being and you can learn i think you like i, I think like the thing about cooking you also have to, you have to want to learn yeah and yeah it's one of those things that like once you i mean i say this all the time to people about reading is is like reading a lot of people get turned off by reading because in you know when they're 15 they read the scarlet letter or something in school and they're just like oh that was such a slog right and like the scarlet letter is great and those kinds of books are great but you have to learn how to enjoy those books so like you're better off reading what you can do first and that and then like you get better at it in increments and then you can tackle the tough stuff later and it's like food is like that to i think a lot of people where it's like man that's a slog i don't want to do that it takes so much of my day yeah and i'm gonna like burn the food it's gonna i'm gonna waste money i'm gonna i have to learn yeah. and I'm, and i don't want to take the time to get better at it but if you do take the time to get better at it which i haven't by the way um but you, you made something this week what did I make this week? Oh, yeah, the best sandwich that I've ever had in my life. Were you inspired by this book at all? No, I was inspired by having to puree all of. Oh. Okay. <laughs> life circumstances sure. brought me to having to do a certain kind of cooking that I didn't want to do, um, and I haven't. Yeah, I don't. I don't know how much better of a cook I've become, but like, 
I don't know. Whatever. We're off. We're off topic a little bit. No, not really. Though, because I think like we were saying before we started recording that like reading nonfiction, like movie podcasts are done where you cover a documentary it's like you can't really i mean you could but it's not about like the way that things happen is just life like it's not like there's artistry to the way that she's presenting things yeah. but it's like it's not like oh did you, see, did you see the way she sprinkled those breadcrumbs of the whatever right like so yeah. i think i think talking about what she cares about i think talking about you know, food and music and things that you're reminded of and inspired by while reading this, I think is kind of the point. Right. I'll say, I'll say this, like about the book and about the style of the book and about what I really think Michelle Zahner is bringing to the table. Um, and part of this is just like the circumstances of her life led to this being true. Um, the juxtaposition between death and food is like inherently a Freudian one because Death is like the decomposition and the destruction of life and food is uh, like growth and consumption and and like the the fuel of life. Mm -hmm. Right. So so she's she's balancing like death with this thing that is like, you know, a a, uh, very much a sensual pleasure. Right. Like it's it's like sensory in in all the ways. Like, you, you know, you can when you're reading this book, you can really like. I mean, I can't smell it, but like maybe can you give? Is that is that a you don't have a sense of smell joke? Yeah, it's okay. not a joke, but it's it's it, it's like you know I I, I yeah, got the yes. sense like food, the descriptions of food, the way that she describes them, like she's really good at like the texture of food. She's really good at like like you can almost hear the oil crackling yeah. and stuff. Um, there's obviously like a sensory and the way she like uses adjectives to describe food, right? Like the tartness of the, like there's mm-hmm. certain things like I've had kimchi a couple of times on a lot, but like I know enough that like when she's describing it, like, I can sort of, it can, it can remind me what that's like. Yeah. So you have food as this like uh, sensory overload. And then, and then on the other end you have um, death, which is like the, decomposition of all senses and into into nothingness uh where like you know there is a similarity in sensory overload with death too because you you have like you know it seems like her mother is really hurting yes you know that's very sad to 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 see um and it's but it's always juxtaposed with this like this is what she gave me this is the joy of life this is like you know my mother engaged me in all five of my senses during this time and like I can create this world that that will always remind me yeah. of her. So, and and there's really, that's really, really beautiful. And, and it like, I think food strikes at this uh, almost primal part of us that, um, you know, they say, they say that like, uh, what is it? I think smell as is, is like your strongest, like memory related. Well, those uh, Axe body spray commercials for, for years drilled into us. That scent is the strongest sense tied to memory. Oh, okay. Which is why if you smell I, good, girls will remember you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, God, I wish that wasn't in my brain. The Axe body spray? That commercial. Well, I mean, or that, just anything, but yeah. People love that shit, but then they didn't. I feel like I always remember people being like, that's disgusting and terrible. And then like guys would use it anyway because they were fooled by the commercials. Were you of the age, because I don't know much about you, Gary. Um, were yeah. you of the age, like in middle school, that like the gym uh-huh. locker rooms just reeked? No, I mean, I was in middle school in 1955, 56 oh, wow. something like that. Yeah, I'm pretty old. Wow. Okay. So there was a time 
when like middle school and high school locker rooms just like you would walk in there and just be greeted by like and greeted as a very you know whatever mm -hmm. uh just axe and it didn't smell good it didn't smell bad but it just smelled like axe yeah and it was overwhelming yeah, no, when I was in middle school, we obviously we all showered and we used lava soap and then the gym teacher would come in and he'd hit us. Why would he hit you? Yeah, he didn't like us very Just a much. different time? Yeah, it's a different time. Shit, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Did you have, I mean, I think it's, I, I don't know if it's, it's normal or weird to say about nonfiction, but did you have like favorite parts in this? Like, is there, is there particular things like, ways that you describe moments or things that really stood out to you? Yeah. Well, I mean, look again, it's like uh, breaking character a little bit. It, it, it's like this, this stuff in character, this, right? The, this stuff in this that I, that like stands out is the stuff that is, is like a reflection or mirror of things that I've experienced, like sure. yeah, literally yeah. like in the moment. And, and, um, and uh, in contrast, things that I, things that I didn't, um, and I'm always sort of surprised by, I don't know how to work this out. I'm, I'm always, in, in, in these grief narratives, I'm always surprised by the depth of, of like incapacitation after the fact. Yeah. Right. Cause that's not my experience. Like I, I, I've, I was never incapacitated. I always felt like, I don't know. I don't, yeah. I really, I really don't, I, I, I don't know how to explain that part. No, I think that there's like. It, it always, whenever I read any nonfiction, any memoir, um, oh my God, I'm going to kill you. It, I know that, I know that the simple fact is that they are like, they're recounting memories and just rebuilding them some, like somewhat fictionalizing them, like filling in dialogue and stuff like that. But like the, what I'm always impressed by is like the, the recall, like mm -hmm. in, cause this has got to be without, you know, putting words in her mouth or like defining her life like one of if not the most stressful time that she's ever had as a person and to be able to remember enough about every step of the way to recount it in a way that is compelling seems impossibly difficult well yeah i mean and i know that there's like you you, you know you're you're taking the broad strokes and you remember that like you talk to this person about this yeah, or I think whatever. She's, I think she's probably collaging based yes. on feelings right. and turning those feelings into like rendered fact right um, which is fine. I mean, that's the, that's more true anyway than recording moments like as they as they happen. You're recording the feelings of moments and then trying to like create a structure and shape around that. It feels probably more accurate to me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I am. I am. I'm too. But like, you know, th there are things like she took notes uh, like she's, you know, like she has the notebook filled with the medications. Yes. Right. And each of those. um like that list is full of memories that are uh, like triggering, not triggering in like a traumatic way, though, maybe that too. But just things that are are, are like, um, you know, connective tissue between between like like, oh, you see like morphine on a pad and it's like, OK, now I remember putting like crushing the pill, putting the morphine right. in the syringe, squirting the syringe into her mouth. Yeah. You know, it's like, like that's like such specific things that. Like she's not gonna forget that stuff, and and like the details of it are, you know, they're 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 rendered in, in uh, 
sort of a, not, it's not expressionist because it, it, it does feel like hyper realistic. But I, I, again, I think it's just like the best that she can do to tell. And it feels real. It feels like it with, does feel real. very much like without exaggeration. There's no attempt to make herself look good or, or feel good. Did you have sympathy for her father, for example? Did you get angry at her father? I didn't get so like I guess specifically like when he gets drunk and like gets a car crash like that part or another part. Yeah, I guess the whole thing. I mean, it feels like she doesn't have much sympathy for her father. I think I would probably agree that I think she's also so overwhelmed by like having to care for her mother that she's like I can't care for another person this much as mm-hmm. at the same time mm-hmm. not care for like as in like love but like take care of like yeah, be a parent sure. to right. Um, like I understand like you know you get through it however you want to get through it like don't put other people at risk or whatever but like you know don't drive drunk but. I get where he's just trying to like get through the day the same way she is. Like she's compensating in a different way. She's just diving full into, you know, caretaker mode. Right. Mm-hmm. So you were saying that she doesn't really make herself look good. Right. Like she's not like overly concerned. Like she's just, she's recounting the things and not being like, look, I'm the best daughter. I'm the best caretaker. Well, she's, she's very insistent she, that she was terrible when she was younger. Yes. Um, I think what really kind of surprised me about all of this was that I did not realize that this was a memoir. Um, I, I mostly knew her as the musician Japanese breakfast, which I guess is her band name, but also kind of maybe just what she goes by. I don't know. I think she's the engine behind the, like, it's one of right. those bands where it's like a person and, yeah. and then there's a band around them. Yes. Um, and so to know that she was like, cause like the, I was saying to you, like so much of the novel is her kind of like, not sure what she wants to do with life and like struggling as a musician and not really landing it. And then like her mom gets sick. And so she moves to Oregon to take care of her and still having artistic ambitions but being like that's not in the cards for me right and it's mm-hmm. just like i'm going to get a nine to five job and i'm gonna do this and i'm gonna be I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to be good at it and like it seems like she is pretty good at what she does and then it just so happens that someone finds music that she made and like you know puts it out on a vinyl and then it yeah well it's it's, it, it seems very much like both with this book and with her band she has channeled her grief into something worthwhile creatively because yes. her novel sorry her her album psychopomp is like I think the songs on that are largely about grief and about her mother. I don't think I've heard that one. I think and I've only heard Jubilee. I think the cover of the album is her mom. is a photo of her mother. So I think that it's like you know there's very much um, it's not like a trade off. That's that that makes it sound like there's an option involved. But she was able to take something that was horrific and sort of um, you know do what certain kinds of artists do, which is take tragedy and and sort of mold it into something that helps other people through their pain or, or allows other people to see beauty in that tragedy or allows her to find catharsis through art or any, any, any one of those things. Um, which is like, you know, part of what art does part yeah. of the job. So I think like what I was trying to not reconcile, cause that feels like I'm trying to actively do something, but like, I know that she becomes a successful, a successful musician, at least to the note that like I would have heard of her through, you know, friends, whatever. Um, and cause it seems like for most of the book, it doesn't, it's not, it's le- not leading there. Right. And then the final chapter, she's like, well, here, kind of, let me, let me catch you up on where I am. Right. Yeah. So, it's, it's not about that. Right, right. It's not about that. But like, I was just trying to be like, I was, I was trying to, as I was reading, see if I could like track, cause I'm not super familiar with Japanese breakfast. Like I just, I've heard, I, when the album came out or whatever, a couple of years ago, I listened to Jubilee a handful of times. Cause I can see a version of this and maybe like in a, in a fictionalized version, like she's trying to like, become like like she's she's discovered as her mom is dying and she's trying to balance the two different things right but it seems like she fully puts the one on hold you know i mean i I was sort of seeing if like again not that because 
I don't know. How, I don't know how to say what I want to try to say, but like I'm trying to like I was trying to reconcile the woman that I knew as a musician with like the woman she's presenting because it seems like they're the same part. Like it's the same path, but like I didn't know when the one thing began. You know, does that make sense or no? Yeah. Plus, who has time for music when you're doing all that cooking? True. <laughs> it feels it feels like she spends a lot of time cooking. But she yeah, she wants to do it. It seems yeah. like right. Yeah. I do. I think it was funny that not funny, but like as she's in that final chapter talking about like as Japanese breakfast is becoming more successful and taking like a, a world tour and like in America, like what we we're talking about before, she's like they're like eating shitty stuff on the road. And then like when they're in Asia, like let's bring you to the best restaurants yeah. in the world yeah. and have the best food. And like it's going to be a little bit of a trek to get there, but like it's going to be worth it. And she even makes comments just like it's it's so different. I wonder if she. Uh, like this is what I would ask her if she if she if we could interview her um i would ask her what her favorite like shitty american food is yeah like does she love arby's like would she like, like if you're if you're on the road do you do you like enjoy one of those like terrible roy rogers well like if you've driven any significant amount of time like on like interstate highways mm. and you see a hundred exit signs in a row where it says food mcdonald's subway coffee place like regional coffee place and then maybe a wild card. You're like, ooh, like, and like, at a certain point, you don't want McDonald's, you don't want Subway, you don't need coffee, whatever. It's like, what's that fourth one? And like, if it's an Arby's or whatever, you know what I mean? Just like, you get yeah, excited about the thing, yeah. but like, Jack in the Box, yeah. Carl's Jr. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure that like, as both a struggling, aspiring musician and a successful musician, you know, with a, even she has like the hospitality writer and stays in Holiday Inns, yeah, there, there's probably like, the shitty comfort food that they look forward to, right? Yeah, yeah. It can't all be like, and then there's also definitely shitty comfort like Korean food. That's yeah. that's like the fast food where it's just like let's just like, and it sounds like maybe like crispy fried chicken is right. is like that, you know? Yeah, I, but it reading I I the whole book it was because every chapter there's food stuff and it's just like yeah this is like sounds really good everything she talks even stuff that i know that i don't like when she's like oh i you know this cold like a dipped like the squid and cold noodle yeah. like, that sounds gross but also it sounds great yeah kind of like how i think like there's lots of stuff that i don't like but if i were at like a really really nice restaurant with like chefs who i knew or like you just trust them yeah i would just yeah. be like all right i'll eat your well i think like thing what what I sort of appreciated was when she and her husband uh, go to Korea, right, for their honeymoon, and her grandma or her... And her, her, mom's, her mom's oldest older her, sister. Her, her aunt, right? Yeah, her aunt makes them breakfast, and she makes him, like, an American breakfast, and uh-huh. makes her, like, a Korean breakfast. Yeah. I was trying to think if I was, like, you know, like, the white guy in, like, a foreign country where, like almost all the food is stuff that I'm probably at least like if I went over there now, I'd be like, I don't know any of this. Right. Like I know like very few things. Um, Like, would I want that? Yeah. Like, would I want to immerse myself? Yes. But would I probably more likely rely and rest on like the comfort foods of like eggs and toast? Like that also sounds nice too. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe ask. Yeah. Cause he, yeah, he knows about this stuff being like, you know, guy that lived in Japan and has done lots of different world things. Like whether, how, how much when you're like in those situations, are you just like, I could go for like a cheeseburger. Well, he also like, when I went to Spain last summer, I was like, go to McDonald's. Like he also like knows that McDonald's and other places are weird yeah, and like have yeah, different yeah. things. Right. Like I think there is something like wherever you are, there's not, you're not far from a McDonald's. Mm-hmm. So there's always like something, even if McDonald's is kind of weird, it's still a McDonald's, right? Like there's still going to be burgers there. Um, 
But yeah, like I would love to be introduced. Like it feels like not the dream. That's too, that's kind of sad and kind of like underselling it. But like to be, to get into a relationship or friendship with somebody who is like so into a thing that like, you know, nothing about and like, let me guide you. Yeah. Especially around food. I think Uh food seems like there's not like the toxic, like, let me teach you about film, baby. It's just like, <laughs> that's what you want. No, you I, wanna I be, don't want you, that. You want to be in a relationship so you can say, let me tell you every single thing that happens in the Fast and Furious franchise. And here's the thing when Han dies and then, <laughs> wait, does Han, Han dies? No, Han comes back, right? See, I know. I watch them. I've seen them all. And then, Not the new one. And then uh, Giselle has the handprint on her butt and they use the handprint on her butt to show the thing. Do I sound like Woody Allen to you? <laughs> Is that a Woody anti-semitic that's anti-semitic on your part i was not doing a woody allen impression i was doing a joey lewandowski impression wait hold on so you're doing me and me calling it as woody allen means that you're an anti-semite but you're applying a jewish affectation no 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 no. you're the one that thinks that that's a jewish affectation i'm just doing your i'm not saying it's a jewish affectation i'm saying it's a woody allen affectation you're the only one that said jewish affectation because you called it anti-semitic because you said that. Oh my god! I, I genuinely think that like you're a bad you're a bad guy. <laughs> you're a bad guy. I genuinely think I'm not the only at least the only one at fault here, and I can't. Uh, let me tell you about how how Ja Rule requested fifty million dollars for the sequel. <laughs> Go listen to Too Fast Too Forever every Tuesday, where I sound exactly like that and say those exact things. <laughs> anyway. Um, no, but I think that, like, someone who, like, let me bring you to my country and let me show you all the best food in the world. Yeah, like, for let, sure. let my aunt, who has been living there for 70 years, like, cook you all of the best things. Like, right, because, like, because that seems, like, the best. all you want is an introduction to those. Because, like, if if you go to a place, yeah, no matter where it is, it could be New Mexico, it could be, it could be Oregon. Like, if you go to a place, you want someone to be like... Here's where you actually go eat, yes. and, and it's good. You don't want to be like, uh, food near me, um, allow right. location. Yes, like that's like open s- now. Yeah, it's 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 like that's stupid. Well, that's why like sucks. when I when I was in Atlanta, I was asking Uber drivers like, where should I eat? And mm-hmm. like everyone I asked like, you should go here. I'm like, yeah. how is it? Like I haven't been there. I'm like, why are why is that the recommend? Like, it feels like I couldn't like permeate that. Like, why are they recommending places that they haven't I been? No, but every single one of them did it. Yeah, so weird. But that's the thing. It's just like because you can look and like people buy Yelp reviews. They and whatever. It's just like it's hard to find or like the highest rated restaurant in the area is like to use it again, like an Arby's. It's just like that's not where I want to go, yeah. though. Well, and it feels like the places that get surfaced are not or like you find places that like have like a 3.0 rating. that are probably like the best place. In the, who, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't because they just they're more they're better at making the food than like their online persona you know what i mean we're just like if if people are like buying reviews or like make like responding to comments or whatever it's like just spend a little bit more time cooking or you know i don't know who knows right but i don't know but yes 100 percent. yeah and and then the further and further you get away from home the more and more you need a guide mm-hmm. make friends everywhere do you have a f- particular favorite cuisine oh i didn't i make a didn't i make a list in the in the group chat once probably um, yeah, it's, it, you know, it go it changes all the time, but I, I, uh, I love Greek food. I love, uh, Chinese food. I love Japanese, probably Japanese food. Maybe Japanese food is my favorite. Okay. 
And then I do. I, I love. I love like a good garbage like hamburger. I love. I, I love uh, like southern food, like soul food. Yeah. Like, yeah. Fuck yeah. That's as far as like American food is concerned. That's the best shit that we have. Well, it does feel like the only, maybe not the only, but one of the only cuisines we have is basically from like the south, and the only real like original music we have is jazz, also from like and soul, like also from the south. Like it just feels like yeah, hip hop. Yeah, one part of our country uh-huh. kind of generated all of our culture. Uh, certainly, certainly a lot of it, and yeah, yeah, and then and then there's like again like cultureless white folk mm-hmm. who who like co-op persists persist on eating it up. I don't know. That's yeah. Well, I guess bar- barbecue is also probably inherently American. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't. I, I really have no idea what I'm talking about. Right. Because why? I feel like okay. I just undermined yeah, yeah, yeah. my own premise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's read Egg's email. All right. Meg's reaction to crying in Adrian. If you want to email in lottery at cageclub.me. Do you regret doing a nonfiction book? I, I liked reading this, but I don't know if that we. Should I liked reading it, but I. It's harder to, um, dissect on a literary level, especially because you're dealing with an individual who's suffering so much. Yeah. Um. Not that I have criticisms of it. Like, I don't have criticisms of it. I just, I guess also that's the point. Like, I feel like you kind of shouldn't, maybe. Like, I do think it's really well written. I enjoyed reading it. But I also don't know that I have a lot of... Yeah, it's also, I mean, I, this is going to be the meanest thing that I've said about any book um, so far. (sighs) There was a lot of stuff like this that I read in, I would say, 50% of the stuff that I read in grad school was like this, just like about people dealing with the trauma that they had from someone dying. Mm. And so this is a story. I mean, she is a much more capable writer than 99% of people. And it's a worthwhile story to tell. And the thing that makes this unique is the connection between food and culture and life and death. And, and that's all wonderful. That's, that's why it subsists as a book, why it's, why it's good ultimately. But at the end of the day, I have I have like heard this story a thousand times, and well, I, think, I think, but that's why it's that's why right, it works, right? right? Because it is universal, and people read it and they feel it because they they like either are afraid yep. of their mother dying, yep. or they've been through their mother dying, yep. or they are a mother who's terrified of dying and yep. leaving their children behind, mm-hmm. and so like there's value in 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 that in like this cathartic release of, um like a sort of common bond of of terror or grief or, you know, all of those things. And it creates this, like, web of people who've all suffered through the same thing and can all, like, go on Goodreads and be like, oh, my God, me too. And, like, I felt that when I was reading this. It's like, yeah, yeah I, like, it, it may – it. but, like, the thing is that I don't find it cathartic. Like, and this is what we were talking about with, with Aesthetica too. It's, like, not fun for me to read this shit. It's, right. it's just, like – fucking painful harrowing yeah yeah <laughs> so so like again for me it's like ju- in this book it was, it's just the food that does it i think what we've learned this module is that i should stop programming these things even halfway i mean we'll, I just keep we'll picking see amnesia books we'll see and non-fiction well i picked i picked an amnesia book too so the rush architects was my book true very true yeah this has, been a, this has been a strange module. Where it like, has. Where yeah. the unadaptable books are- Tur- Turn out to be very adaptable. Adaptable. And not only are adaptable, but like are being adapted. Yeah. And the unadaptable ones are, you know, kind of similar to things we've read before. Right. And good, also, good module though. High quality yeah. for the most part. 
Lottery at cageclub.me if you want to email in Meg's reaction to crying in H Mart. This book was good on many levels. It had beautiful descriptions and the structure of the book was excellent. I listened to the audiobook read by Michelle Zahner because of this. I listened to it on regular speed as opposed to sped up. I'm glad I did. The speed in which she read felt right for the book. I wonder if I listened to um, after Louis Anderson died, mm-hmm. like uh, they reposted his WTFs. And yep. he, he talks about doing his, the audiobooks for um, he wrote a book called Dear Dad and he wrote another book called Dear Mom, which are letters that he wrote to each of his parents, uh, even though they'd been dead for a long time. It's mm-hmm. like he's like on the road thinking about his parents and he's writing letters to them. And he says he like cries throughout the entire audiobook. So he would be like reading and crying at the same time. And it's like, I don't know if I would want to listen to that. The only audiobook I think I've, because I don't listen to a lot, I've probably listened to like maybe five ever. The only one that I've listened to that was read by the author was David Cross's I Drink for a Reason. You know, no, you also listened to Literally Show Me a Healthy Person, didn't you? Oh, I did. I did. We talked to Darcy about that. But yeah. in David Cross's audiobook, like halfway through, he stops and starts scolding. He's like, why are you listening to this? Why aren't you reading this? Why are you lazy? And like, yeah. it's like, I like that there, he like kind of broke the fourth wall. But like, there was like, he wasn't like, it's just, you know, it's a, it's a memoir. It's a, it's a comedic. Oh, he grim, like actually grimaced. By the way, happy birthday, Grimace. You know about that? Uh, let's move on. <laughs> I did like Darcy's book, even though Darcy felt like we talked about with her. Yeah, she yeah. did not want to read it. Mm-hmm. Right. I had no idea. Egg says what this book was going to be about when I started it. For some reason, I was expecting it to be a comedy because the title seemed so silly. But then it starts out so hardcore with her grief to set the tone. Like literally the first line. I want to make sure I get it right. It's just like like dead mom in line one. It's like, oh, boy, like this is mm-hmm. this is going to be a lot. Hold on. The first line of the book. Ever since my mom died, I cry in H Mart. Yeah. Good first line. Mm-hmm. While reading the book, Egg says, I wish that there could be some sort of tasting tour for all the dishes mentioned. Michelle Zahner does an excellent job describing everything. It almost feels like I was eating them myself. All in all, I really liked this book. That's a short email. Like Egg didn't have as much to say about this book either because it's hard to put on literary lenses to look at nonfiction, I think. Yeah. So again, I'm retiring after this module from programming. Although (laughs) I will say the one book that is being adapted that I have picked to remain is a book that you have, we've talked about that you read and you really liked. Yeah. The Rachel Yoder book, right? Yeah. Uh, So that was only like kind of half picked by me and that's been pre vetted. Mm -hmm. Had you read this before or no, this is the first time. H Mart, yeah, no, I, yeah, I haven't read it before. Did you? Was this one that you had bought when it came out? I know you buy a lot of books. When I, it come yeah, out. I had it. Um, uh, yeah, I had a hardcover. Okay, but yeah, so Night Bitch is good. So next is Wittgenstein's Mistress, and then Night Bitch, then Jest. So Wittgenstein's Mistress. Wittgenstein. I feel like I've seen whoever Wittgenstein is, the person, uh-huh. mentioned a couple times, like this module. Like I'm probably, probably I probably yeah. noticed him before. I, I think I think I talked about him in the in the um. Uh, in the talk with Stephen Hall. And then what's very exciting is that after this module, another state, baby. Ah, we're getting yeah, so, so yeah, close. We're almost done. We're so close to being finished with the state module. a card. Yeah. I don't want to read the state module. I mean, I do. I just want to do the, draw the card. I want to yeah, draw the card yeah, and like see we what made it is. A, we made a game of it. Yeah, because do you, do, do you remember, you have a 1 in 52 chance. Do you remember what card Louisiana was? I uh, no clue. Seven of diamonds. Okay, nice. Seven of diamonds, great card. Yeah. New Jersey, seven of spades. All right. All right. Keep reading. 
Um, no crime today, but uh, uh, whoa, what? Yeah, no crime today, but instead, mm. rest in peace to Cormac McCarthy, who who is uh, one of the all time great American writers. Yeah, one up up there with with any any American name and letters that you can think of. Cormac's up there. This episode will come out in about a month, so it's you know this dates it to when it was. But is there if people are like. I've always meant to read because we have not done one of his books yet yeah. for this. Uh-huh. Is there one book that you would yeah, recommend? Blood Meridian. That's that's the one, right? That's the one. That's the that's it's a really difficult book. Um, it is also you you consider it for this module, I think. Yeah, and, uh, then, it, and then it's being adapted. Yeah, it's by but it, but the, and this was news that I just read a couple like literally a week ago. You know who was adapting it? Who? Cormac McCarthy. He was writing the screenplay. Oh, so. Yeah, he's eighty nine years old, right? So, like, I don't, I, I don't know what's happening with that, or if it'll ever get made. I did say to you that I'm glad that because it seemed like from my my sort of afar, and I'm not really in or like really follow the literary world, but it seems like both of his novels he put out in the last year were like well received. Oh, uh, no, he, no, no, not really. Oh, I mean, really? A, a lot of people really like thought they were shitty, but then like, oh. but then if you look at like people whose opinions are worthwhile. To look at like people like like Blake Butler like mm-hmm. on 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 Twitter will proselytize like the greatness of that novel. So it's like I'm, you know, we've had a lot of conversations the other day about how like critics don't know shit yeah. sp- like anymore, especially like right. I don't know any critics who know shit about shit. Mm-hmm. So like you got to trust the people whose writing you like, yes, and who are like smart and and you know, I trust them way more than I would ever trust critics who have shit on this book. So. You know, whatever. Uh, I I own both of them. I haven't read them yet. I'm going to, once the summer starts, I'm going to read both of those. And I'm going to read the shards. Those are my three big books that I'm going to read. What's the shards? That's the new Brady Stinnis. Oh right, yes. Keep reading. You did it. You you did it twice. Preemptive and postemptive. Is that a word? Sure. Spaces between